So good to be with you. So good to be with you. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I also want to say hello to all those who are watching online. Gearing up for Easter, three weeks away. I'm the procrastinator. I haven't got my tickets yet either, but they're free. It helps us make plans for you um, because all these people are going to come on Easter. And if we pack you guys all in one service, they're going to get mad at us. And so, um, so help us make plans on how to keep everything the best that we can for those services. So do that. And then the week before, Palm Weekend, uh, I think it's about eight years ago, 10 years ago, I did an illustrated message called The Living Lord's Supper, where we take the Da Vinci painting. Um, is it the Da Vinci? Am I right? Yeah, okay. It's been that long ago. My, I had self-doubt here. And uh, where the apostles are all at the Lord's Supper and that famous painting. So we do a living one, means we just have, it's alive, real, you know, real characters. And then I walk uh, the church through the life of every one of the apostles. And uh, it's a very, very powerful message. And so the staff said, you've got to do that message again. And so I'm going to pull that out for Palm Weekend as we go into Easter. And so if you haven't seen that illustrated message, you want to see it. You want to be there uh, on, on Palm Weekend. So Philippians, or I guess Palm Sunday, Philippians chapter two, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my ap absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So it starts with you, it starts with you. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Everybody say his good purpose. Not your purpose. This is his, his. He works in you to fulfill his good purpose. So do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, 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 pure sorry. Uh, where, where am I? I lost my, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the words of life. I want to use this text to focus on that last phrase. Then you will shine among them. Who? This crooked, this warped and perverse generation. You will shine among them like stars in the sky. And if you're taking notes, I want to take a few minutes and talk to you about how God still makes stars. I think if you flip through the pages of Scripture, it would be very, very difficult to miss that God speaks and guides his people through stars. I'm not talking about astrology as much as that God does use the stars to guide and to speak. We see this with Abraham in Genesis 15, where God says, I want you to get out of your tent and I want you to go out and count the stars. So Abraham goes out. It's a beautiful, clear night. He looks up at the bright stars. He starts to count one, two, three, Four, five, six, seven. We don't know what number he got to, but eventually he gives up. And he goes back to God and he says, hey, God, I just need you to know that I've counted this far. And I don't believe it's possible to count the stars. They're innumerable. And God says, so you're starting to get a glimpse of what my vision for your future is going to be the descendants that are going to come from you, the nation that's going to come from you are like the stars that are in the sky. And so God spoke to Abraham 
through the counting of the stars. In Acts chapter 2, verse 19, Joel's prophecy is mentioned in the very first sermon of the New Testament church as the apostle Simon Peter says, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh and that God's sons and daughters will prophesy and that the young men will dream dreams and that the old men will have vision. And we stop right there, but it goes on to say in verse 19 that there will also be wonders in the heavens above. Luke 21 and 25, Jesus himself himself said, in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, God will give signs in the end times. Of course, every Christmas we celebrate Jesus being born in Bethlehem, that we know that a certain star was lit up by God, that out of all the billions of stars, God caused that star to shine especially bright, that the Magi who were over 600 miles away were able to make a long journey using that star as their guide, that Jesus' birth centered around a sign from heaven or a star. In Joshua chapter 10, he's in the middle of the battle. It's beginning to get dark. And so Joshua says, if you're with me, God, if you're with us in the battle, would you cause the sun to stand still? And so God caused the sun to stand still, sending the message to Joshua, keep fighting. Keep battling. I'm with you. This battle, I'm going to give it to you. In Revelation 22, 16, Jesus calls, is called the bright and the morning star. So God speaks and guides through the stars. NASA says there are millions of stars that are born every day in the universe. An average of one new star is born every year and one star dies each year in the Milky Way. NASA went on to say that there's about 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Therefore, there are 100 billion stars being born and dying each year, which corresponds to about 275 million a day in the whole observable universe. A star is born, they said, when atoms of light elements are squeezed under enough pressure that the nuclei undergo fusion. I'm not trying to be heady, just wait for a minute. All stars are a result of a balance of forces. The force of gravity compresses the atoms in interstellar gas until fusion reactions begin. Once fusion reactions begin, they exert an outward pressure. As long as the inward force of gravity and the outward force generated by fusion reactions are equal, a star is born and remains stable. So if you caught it, there are two non-negotiable forces that have to be balanced for a star to be born. There has to be the pulling force, the gravitational force, And then equal to that, there has to be an outward force or a pushing force or a reaching force. If there's the raw materials in play, the interstellar gas, dust, debris from previous stars that have died, if if the raw materials are there and there's the equal pulling force and an equal pushing force, a star is born. It went on to mention that stars die, which is called a supernova. And that's when the core of the star collapses, causing the star to explode and die. There's two reasons that a star will have a supernova or die. Number one, if a star is in the orbit of another star and it begins to pull on the matter of that star, 
it turns the star that's stealing from the other star, it turns it into a dwarf star. I love that. And because the dwarf star is taking, 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 it ends up collapsing in on itself, it explodes, and it dies. The second reason that a star dies is it just simply runs out of fuel. It keeps giving and giving and giving, and eventually it runs out, it collapses, and it dies. So as it is with the stars, so it is with us. That there's a balance of two forces, and these are non-negotiable things. There has to be a gravitational force in our life. The Bible says that we have to hold fast to the words of life. There has to be something in us that's pulling on God, pulling on his presence, pulling on his grace, pulling on his love, pulling on his power. It has to be something, and, and if it's not, if you don't feel comfortable with the idea of you pulling on God, then maybe, maybe you need to think about it like he's pulling on you. That he pulls on you with his grace and he pulls on you with his mercy. That he, he's pulling you into his plan. The Bible actually says, as many are the sons of God, we are led, which is the Greek word lasso, which is again the idea that God lassos us and then he pulls us if we're his sons and his daughters. He's pulling us into his presence. There has to be a gravitational force. There has to be something about you that's saying, God, I need you. I need your presence. I need your favor. I need your wisdom. I need you. I cannot do it without you. But equal to that force, there has to be an outward force, something about you that's reaching and pushing. There has to be a push in us to love, a push in us to reach, a push in us to serve, a push in us to lay down our lives, a, a push in us to give. There has to be these two forces the pulling force and the pushing force equal. And if so, and we have the raw materials, a star is born and can remain stable. Isaiah 60 in verse one said it like this, arise, shine, for your light has come, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The prophet Isaiah is saying, I need you to arise. I need you to shine. How does this happen? Because the light has come. What's the light that's come? That the glory of the Lord, that's the density, that's the weight of God has risen upon you. That you begin to realize the weightiness of how God is for you and how God has a plan for you. And when that light rises in your heart, you and I are not just to take that glory in, take the, the, the love of God in, take the mercy of God in, but we're to also to arise and shine because there's two forces that have to balance out. There has to be a pulling on God's love, pulling on God's presence, pulling on the things of God. And then there has to be a push to give that out and to shine and to allow that to brightly go forth from our lives into a darkened world. The imbalance of these two forces in our lives causes our own collapses, our own supernovas in church life, in home life, in relationships, in your career life, in your body, in your mind, spiritually speaking, people all the time collapse, burn out, and die. Most of the time they say the same thing. How did this happen? How did my marriage burn out? How did my home life burn out? 
How did, how did that fire I once had for God, how did it burn out? It's because there was an imbalance of the forces. You can't just take and take and take and pull and pull and pull and expect and expect. The Bible actually says when you become a Christian, you're like a newborn baby. That's why it's called being born again. And beginning in your relationship with God, just like a baby, you have a lot of needs. You, you pretty much just cry and whine and then they feed you, right? And then you make a mess. And that's, there's a season of your life that's that way, right? But how many of y'all know that eventually you got to grow up? Eventually, we're going to take the pacifier from you. We're going to cut the top of it off like I had to do with Savannah, right? Because she just loved the pacifier. You know, the, our kids, just, so we just had to cut the top of it and then they would suck on it and then they'd be like, oh, this doesn't feel the same anymore. Eventually, eventually, you got to realize that you can't just take and take and take. If you do that, you collapse, you burn out and you die. But so many people, that's how they see this. They just take and take and take. But just like it does the stars, it dwarfs you. And it's, it's, it's the predictor that you're not far away from burning out in your home life, in your marriage, at the job. Well, well they need to pay me and they gotta do this for me and they better treat me like this. I understand there is a pulling, but there should also be a pushing, right? There should also be a, I got to add value. I got to contribute. This place has got to be better because I showed up. I got to have a better attitude. I got to have a better work ethic. I, I got to be better at being punctual and being early and maybe staying. I'm preaching to myself now and staying a little late every now and then. This preached really good to the 930 service. But you can't give and give and give either. Just give, never refuel. Give out and never receive because you'll eventually burn out. There has to be the pulling and the pushing and these two forces have to balance out. And when we look at the church and we look at the body of Christ, there are a lot of people that have stopped shining. And Paul said, in the midst of a perverse and a warped and a crooked and a twisted generation, I need people that will shine like the stars. And God said, I'm going to show you what it looks like. I'm, I'm going to give you the ingredients. I'm, I'm going to give you the raw materials that you have to have. Because if you'll put these things into play, God is saying, I still make stars. I still need to raise up someone to shine. Yes, the world is getting darker and it's getting darker and it's getting darker and it's getting darker. But at the same time, God is clear. I'm never going to let this dark world be absent of a star that I'm going to raise up to use to shine in the midst of the darkness. If I had a goal today, it would be to remind you that we must shine like stars to this generation. In order to do that, you have to consider that you are significant to God's purpose. Every person in this room is of great value. You are indispensable. There is no one like you. You are significant to God. And at the same time, you have a immeasurable amount of unrealized potential 
that is in you. If we could pull back the veil and maybe see what God sees in this room, maybe see what God sees there in Anderson or if you're watching online, if we could pull back the veil and begin to see the stars that are make it in the making in this room, if we could see the star-making material, the raw goods that are all around us, you would probably begin to realize that right now you're potentially sitting next to a star that's in the making. That right now, all around this room, God's counting stars. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yes, it's getting darker, but I got another one. I got another one. Yes, it's getting to be more twisted and perverse and evil, but I got another one. I got another one. I got another one. And I must have people that will shine in the midst of the darkness. I think you need to look at the person next to you and say, you didn't know it, but you're sitting next to a star. God is still making stars. He's still making them. Nikita Gill writes this poem. We have calcium in our bones, iron in our veins, carbon in our souls, and nitrogen in our brains. 93% stardust with souls made of flames. We are all just stars that have people's names. So God said, okay, We've talked about how you save yourself, how you, how, you, how you guard yourself. That was week one. Last week, we talked about how to, how to influence your family, how to reach your family and your friends, those who are close to you, how Abraham went out and rescued Lot. But this is a message that's not just about me taking care of me. I got to work out my own salvation, it says first. I got to take care of my own home. But then it says why? Because eventually God's wanting to use us to shine in our generation. So three thoughts on how God makes stars according to Philippians chapter two. Number one, God works in us to fulfill his good purpose. The word work in the Greek is the word energeo or energio. It means divine energy that produces noticeable change moment by moment. This energio is at work, the Bible says, to fulfill his, everybody say his again, his good purpose. So this purpose that Paul talks about begins when your why becomes bigger than you. When you look at the reason I'm on this planet and I'm taking up space and time and air is because of his good purpose purpose. There is a why for me being here. And when I find my why, I find my way. And when I find my way, I find my will. A lot of us don't have no will, no strength, no determination. Why? Because we still don't have our why. But your why begins, the purpose begins when the why is bigger than you. It is the energio that's at work is to fulfill his good purpose. Paul called this in Romans 8, the mind of the spirit. Think about that, what Paul is saying, that this divine energio that's living on the inside of us has a mind, has a determination of its own. You can't ignore it. You, you can't dismiss it, that the spirit of God has a mind. He has thoughts, uh, ideas, 
He makes decisions. He makes calls. He communicates to us that relationship needs to be moved aside. That relationship needs to be pulled closer. This is a a thing that's working on the inside of us, helping us make decisions, helping us know what steps to take, know what stops to to yield to. It's constantly at work within our lives. Acts 15, 28 says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. What was the early church saying? This divine energio was producing noticeable change, but watch it, that we knew what to do. We knew what decisions to make. We, know, we knew who to put in this position or we knew how to, who to move here. And how did they know it? It's because there was a divine energio that was working with them to help them move, progress, uh, know which activities to involve themselves, activities not to involve themselves. And this, this spirit of God, this, this divine energia that was at work within them was to fulfill his good purpose. And what they started to realize is there really are no boundaries when it comes to God's purpose. There are really no limitations that, that with God and his purpose, it's just possibilities. It's just all kinds of open doors that God wants to provide for us. And so the early church began to allow this divine energio to guide them and direct them. The Bible says in Acts 20 that it took Paul the apostle and he was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Listen to the specifics. And that the Holy Spirit warned him once he would get there that he would face beatings and difficulties and imprisonments. So the Holy Spirit is is not just in general working in our lives with great specifics. He's not blindly sending us from place to place with with very uh, clear Uh, steps he's saying to Paul I want you to go to this city I want you to go there there's going to be pain there's going to be difficulty there's going to be problems there's going to be imprisonments but 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 I want you to still go and he was compelled by the Holy Spirit if Paul was living according to his own purpose then what would he probably be saying now I'm going to avoid the pain I'm going to avoid the difficulty I don't really feel like going to jail I don't really feel like being arrested I don't really feel like being attacked I don't feel like being beat, but because it was the divine energio that was leading him, compelling him to go to the city of Jerusalem, he would surrender to say, it's not about me. It's for his, his good purpose. If you want to reach a city, which I believe we're called to do, you have to be compelled by the Spirit. If you want to reach a generation, there has to be a compelling of the Spirit to reach that generation. The Bible says in Acts 13, 36, for David, after serving the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. You know what the Bible's saying here? Is a lot of people die and they've never lived, but David fully lived by fulfilling the purpose of God in his own generation, then he died. I love the fact that David knew that he was called to serve his own generation. He couldn't serve Abraham's generation. He couldn't go back and serve Moses' generation. He had to serve his own generation. And we are just the same. God says, I call you to shine bright to your generation. 
I can sit around and talk about how the good old days and how it used to be. And, oh, America used to be great. And now America's terrible. Now America's horrible. It's the worst thing ever. that That was when it was good. But I can't reach how it used to be. I can't serve how it used to be. I can't, I, I can't influence how it used to be. I can only serve what it is. I can only serve the purpose of God in my generation. And so that means I've got to learn to serve them in their waywardness. I've got to learn to save, serve them in their crookedness and their perverseness and their warpedness. I've got to learn to serve them in their sin. If they lean left politically, I'm called to serve them. If they leave right politically, I'm called to serve them. I messed that all up, but you get what I'm saying. If I'm going to shine like the stars in my generation, I've got to choose. This is the generation God sent me. This is the place he sent me. This is the time he sent me. What good does it do for me to fight it? This is the time I've been called to serve my generation. And God still makes stars. I don't know if it'll be you or you or you. I don't know if it'll be us. But I do know God will raise up people to be a light in the midst of the darkness. I think a good passion test for you would maybe be, let me put it like this, you fail the passion test when God's purpose no longer matters as much as your own. There's just no push for God's purpose, like a push. I wanna reach, I wanna make a difference, I wanna, I wanna help, I wanna love, I wanna serve, I wanna give, I wanna, sat, I, I, I wanna give of myself, I wanna lay my life down, I wanna reach, I wanna reach. If, if there's none of that, or there's no pull, God, I need you, I need your grace, I need your love, I need your word, I need your presence, God, I, I need to be in the house of God. If there's no pull and you're indifferent, there's no energio, no divine energy at work, that's the sign you failed the test. The fact that you're here means you're passing the test. Why? Because you still want his purpose above your own. You're still saying, God, I really want to know what it is that you want from my life. What is it that you desire from my life? I believe the energio that's available, this divine purpose that we're talking about, is like grabbing a hold of a 220 electric wire. When you grab a hold of it, you can't seem to let go. And everyone notices some things are changing. Come on, you're the conduit. And as that energy begins to flow through you, it's noticeable the changes that it makes. It's noticeable that God is flowing through your life into a dark world. I love that in Exodus chapter one, it introduces us to Pua, who was Moses' midwife. The Pharaoh gave her instructions. I want you to kill the babies. I want you to kill them. It's your job. You kill those babies. Pua went into the birthing room where Moses was to be born, and she disobeyed those orders. The word Pua, her name means bright, shiny, means splendor. I'm not saying that these things are terrible or bad. I'm just saying she didn't hold up a sign. Talk about how bad everybody is. She came up with real life-saving ways to allow the divine energio to work through her. And as a result, she saved the life of Moses who became the deliverer of a nation. I can't really stop the things that happen in our world in a greater way. 
whether I'm concerned with them, at what level I'm concerned with them, really comes down to my own personal hands being able to say, what can I do to save lives? I love the fact that this week we just signed the contract, finalized the contract. You wrote a $200,000 check to buy the, what's called the Storksmobile, which if you were back here in October, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we'll catch you up later. Um, but it's basically, it's gonna take us about 10 months. By the way, you hired someone this last week. You didn't know this, but you hired someone and their whole job is to go through all the, the protocols, all the things, because it's a very uh, difficult process to, get, to actually get approved to get one of these vehicles um, from this nonprofit. But you've hired someone to do that. And it's on its way. It's going to take about 10 months to get here. So it's going to take a little while, but it's on its way. I'm saying this, I'm talking about this because I don't really know what we can always do other than make the decisions and say, and again, I'm not beating you up. If you had to make a decision, if, if you've been in a low place, if you've been in a desperate place, there's forgiveness and there's grace. I'm not talking about that, but I am saying that, that Pua saved the life of Moses because in a real way, she was able to make calls that saved that life. And sometimes you just have to say, God, involve me in doing what I can do to save a life. I don't know about every, you know, there's that old story. Remember the little boy, he's walking down the, 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 the beach and, and there's thousands, tens of thousands of starfish. You probably heard this before, but the little boy is taking the starfish and he's throwing them uh, into the ocean and he's taking another one. He's throwing them into the ocean to save their lives. And an old man came along and said, oh, son, don't you see there's tens of thousands of starfish here. There's no way you could ever make a possible dent in how many of them are going to die here on this beach. You're not going to make a difference because of just the magnitude of the need. And the little boy held the starfish up to the old man and said, it makes a difference to this one. And he threw it back in. She didn't sit on the sidelines. She found real ways to save lives. The inertia is a pull and it's a push. It's a pull and it's a push. I'm a conduit. It's flowing through me to fulfill his good purpose. Not mine, not mine, not yours. His good purpose. Number two, do everything without grumbling is what it says. Grumbling in the Greek means silent resentment or resistance. It implies an ungrateful, negative spirit. I love this thought. Isaiah 14 calls Satan a fallen star. He was shining bright in heaven, positioned right on the mount of God. His beauty, the, the light of God that would shine through him, the, the beauty in his breastplate were emeralds and rubies and diamonds and, and those, the light would shine through him and create such beauty. He was called the most beautiful of all of the angels. But silent resentment, resistance set in. He began to get ungrateful. And so many people are living that way. They're living in resentment, but you cannot live on purpose and live in resentment. You cannot live on purpose and live in resistance. You cannot live on God's, in God's purpose and be petty. You cannot live for his purpose and think life is all about you. 
And until you realize that, you never will embrace his good purpose. This is how you know if someone's living on purpose. They're always grateful people. Always, every time. Someone that's living on to fulfill his purpose. I didn't say life was easy for them. They're always grateful people. People that are living for their purpose. Always disappointed. Always not enough. Always can't come through. Can't, can't measure up. Can't no, one come, can't no one do enough for that person. Can't no one... No, you know, this, you know, this thing happens, that thing happened, this person does this, this person doesn't do that. And, and it always comes back to, they didn't do enough, so I can't be happy. They didn't do enough for me, so I can't be fulfilled. But people that live on purpose are grateful people. And this is what God says in this text. He's saying, if you want to know what the expansiveness of someone's soul to shine like the stars is, God says, I look to see how grateful the person is. If I, if I need the raw materials to make a star, then I'm looking, is there a thankful heart? Is there a grateful heart? 2 Peter 1.19 says, we also have this prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to a light shining in a dark place until the dawn, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. The prophetic message that you'll do well to pay attention to is when you lose yourself, you find yourself. And when you lose yourself, you lose pettiness, you lose resentment, you lose resistance. And when you lose yourself, you find yourself and you find his good purpose. Colossians 2 and verse 7 says we've been taught to overflow with thankfulness. This depicts someone that pours out from their heart with no effort. The, the thankfulness is so strong that it's difficult to hold it back or restrain it. This is what I believe God is saying in this text that, that divine energio, that that power that God wants to give us to fulfill his purpose, that power cannot be trusted in an unthankful hand. Can't be. You can't give that kind of brightness. You cannot give that kind of power to someone's hand that's unwilling to be humble and loving. But God said, when I look down and I see someone I want to pour out that energio on to work through them, I'm looking for someone that's thankful. I'm looking for the raw materials of greatness, gratefulness, so I can do something of greatness in their life. Number three, it goes on to say, do everything without arguing. In the Greek, this is inward criticism. It implies someone is unteachable. They've made up their minds, no curiosity, no openness. They have a closed mind and a closed spirit. The general theme of this person's life is they're wrong, I'm right. You're wrong, I'm right. They're dumb, I'm smart. They're idiots, I'm a genius. If everyone else is dumb, and you're the smartest one in the situation. Can I just help you out? 
your internal life is arguing. Criticism, just arguing all the time, fighting internally with how everybody else is wrong and you're right. How everybody else don't get it, but you get it. That's internal. You, you, you're not praying. You're arguing. Spend all your time fighting. They call it the straw man. Fighting internally, arguing internally. Someone that's a figment of your imagination, whether they have a name or a face or not, you're not directly dealing with the person. You're dealing with the idea that you've created around that person. And internally, you're just arguing, arguing and arguing. And God says, Zach, I can't, I can't, I can't allow this divine energio. I can't allow it to work in that kind of a life. First Samuel 25, David needs some help. He reaches out to a man by the name of Nabal. Nabal refuses to help David, and David is basically going to handle the situation, and Abigail, his wife, interrupts David. And this is what they said about Nabal, that no one can talk to him. And the definition that was given to Nabal was wickedness because no one could talk to him. He would listen to no one. Isn't that amazing? He was closed. Stanford University study says that 89% of what we know, we know visually. So people can tell if you're open. People can tell if you're teachable. People can tell if you're closed. They can tell if you've just shut off. If you just close down, they can tell. This is why worship is best like this. You say, you say, but my heart's really open and I'm like this. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying the posture that's best in worship is this. It's this. When it comes to, to church and God's words being preached, and this is anybody that's preaching, if you never come back here, this is, is important. Are you done yet? You're driving me crazy. Shut up. Why are we here? Pushing back. Every point can't listen to anything that's being said, said because you're already on the defense every single step of the way. So God can't even work on you. You got so many walls. You got you. You will listen to no one. Not me. Forget me. I, I mean, please dismiss me all day long. You'd be wise to do so. <laughs> but when it comes to His Word, it should be this. Should be this. Hey, when I was growing up, we had hankies. And we'd stand up when the preacher got going, we'd wave our hankies. Come on, Luke, you know all about it, don't you? Am I, am I lying? I'm dying if I'm lying. Luke, right? Amen. 
Daniel 12 and verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness, listen to it, like the stars forever and ever. The raw, this next raw material, really simple. There has to be a desire, a longing for wisdom. God, I want you to teach me. I want you to show me. I want to be open. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. That's why we're in church. That's why we open his word. That's why in our private times we put worship on in our cars as we're driving or we find a podcast because the Bible says in all you're getting, get understanding. It says that wisdom is the principal thing, that it's more priceless than the ruby, that's more precious than, than, uh, than any stones you can get, that you and I should have a desire to learn. We should have a hunger to grow and to mature and to be teachable is a key star-making material. So it comes down to this. He says, in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, I need people that will shine like the stars among them. And I love the fact that anybody, anybody can do these two things. Anybody, everybody say anybody, can fulfill his good purpose. Anybody, two things. This is the raw star making material. If the forces are equal, you're drawing on him, you're drawing on him and you're, you have a desire. The raw star, stay thankful, stay teachable. Stay thankful, stay teachable. You don't ever outgrow these two things. You're never so knowledgeable that you shouldn't want to learn. You're never, you, you're never so far along in life that you shouldn't have a desire to learn. Come on. And life can never get so bad that you can't find a reason to be thankful. And if God can find some people that'll be thankful and be teachable, can I help you out? Then God will help us to shine like the stars in the midst of a dark and wicked generation. I'm closing. The greatest star the universe has ever known wasn't hanging in the expansiveness of some distant galaxy. The greatest star we've ever seen was found on a hill outside of Jerusalem called Calvary. They hung that bright morning star on a cross. Their goal, I've got to kill the light that's shining from this man. Every time they beat him, every lash was determined to stop this star from shining. No, man, no one ever saw someone love like this in the midst of such hatred. He was stretched on that cross wide open. No grumbling on the cross, was there? He was wide open. How can you be beat like that? How can you be treated like that and still overflow with thankfulness? 
But yet here we are 2000 years later and it doesn't matter how much they beat him. It doesn't matter how savagely uh, they, they took his body and, and destroyed that body. That light is still shining today. That light is still teaching us today, calling us today inspiring us today, encouraging us today to also shine like the stars in our generation. You know, that star will never cease to shine. The Bible actually says when we get to heaven, there will be no sun to light up that city because the son of God is the light of that city. You can't stop it. You can't stop that light. You can't stop that love. You can't stop that power, but it's at work in us to fulfill his purpose. Amen. Amen. Stay thankful, stay teachable because God still makes stars. He still makes stars. He really does. He still raises people up to be a light. He's looking for puas. Come on. He's, he's looking, he's looking for for the Paul, the apostles. He's looking for the Davids that will serve their generation, the purpose of God in their generation. Every eye is closed, every head is bowed, no one looking around. With the new type of technology and the ability to study the brain, they've discovered that there's three phrases that light up the brain the most. These three phrases, we're talking about shining like the stars in our generation. Three phrases that light up every person's brain when they hear them the most, these three phrases. It's, it's like someone takes a bright light and turns the brain on when these three phrases are heard. Number one, I love you. Number two, I forgive you. And number three, dinner is ready. Some of y'all are like, yeah, come on, preacher. We're done. Hungry. All three of these things Jesus made clear on the cross. Did he not? I love you. I forgive you. And by the way, this is my body, which is broken for you. As long as you... Take of this, do it in remembrance of me. He was saying dinner is ready. Whatever your emptiness is, whatever the void in your life is, Jesus says, I love you, I forgive you, and dinner is ready.